Welcome to Body of Work Bites, the new bite-sized podcast series from the Heritage Team at the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Glasgow. Join me, Kirsty Early, and my colleague Claire Harrison. Hello. As we talk about some of the stories from the college's heritage in small, digestible episodes. So welcome back to this week's episode of Body of Work Bites. Um, and this week, well, this subject picked because this will be a nice topic. This will be nice. It's about plants. And then I looked into it and I was like, oh, my word. <laughs> yep. It's like Game of Thrones drama. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. So, uh, yeah, buckle in, folks. <laughs> this one's going to be juicy. Um, yeah, this week we are talking about Elizabeth Blackwell and herbal medicine in general, but more specifically, her publication, A Curious Herbal. Fabulous. Right, Claire, you ready? Yeah, ready? go for it. Ready for the drama? I feel like I yeah, like... I'm ready. You're sitting comfortable. I've got my tea. You've got the tea. <laughs> um, okay, so Elizabeth Blackwell was a Scottish botanical artist and is best known for her work, A Curious Herbal. So this work was a book on medicinal plants that could be used as like a reference guide for physicians and surgeons. Um, but yeah, we'll go into that as part of our story. And Elizabeth is considered by many to be the first British female herbalist or like botanist before it kind of became a thing, which is quite cool. Um, disclaimer, not to be confused with another very famous <laughs> pioneering Elizabeth Blackwell, apparently in the 1700s and 1800s, it's just a really common name. Um, so uh, there's another Elizabeth Blackwell who was a British physician in the 1800s who was the first woman to receive a medical degree in the United States fun story um, but um, as you'll find out that's about 100 years out that's about 100 years later so um, and a different person but yeah just in case you get confused and you think this pioneering physician woman also <laughs> was really old and was like amazing at botany too <laughs> I'm sure she was pretty good at botany Sure um, she was. I'm sure she was. So our Elizabeth Blackwell uh, was born Elizabeth Blackery uh, in and around. So I couldn't find an exact date. There was different sources saying different things. So I found one source that said 1707, another one said 1700. So basically, the first decade. We'll say the first decade of the 1700s. That is when she was born, and she was born in Aberdeen. Um, and she was born into a wealthy family, and received a very good education as a result um really reminds me of kind of like pride and prejudice when they all used to the ladies would do certain things and that's really important to this story that will make a lot of sense as we go along so she basically studied everything because she was from a wealthy family uh, languages arts music and ultimately botany as well um quite quickly in her bio it doesn't say much about her childhood other than she got good education and straight away she married her second cousin Alexander Blackwell who had studied at the University of Aberdeen then known as Marshall College so even though this podcast is about Elizabeth we do have to talk about Alexander quite a bit not because he's a man but also because he's a man but he does make his life really impacts Elizabeth's um, and her story yep. so um no no letters of complaint please this is just part of the story and also history a lot of women that you look into in history there'll be things that say we don't know much about the rest of her life but her 
enter male relative here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of happens here, but it's more understand. Uh, you'll understand it more in this story. So we'll talk about Alexander for a bit. I say a second, it's going to be more than a second. So he was a doctor, um, but there wasn't really any evidence of his medical training or medical studies. Um, when he was in Aberdeen and trying to set up practice, they, everyone was questioning his training. They were like, oh, where did he train? Because he did study at the University of Aberdeen, but he didn't study medicine or surgery. Um, so they were like, who's this guy? And why is he like pretending to be a doctor? This is a very common theme in um, Alexander's story. <laughs> so as I said, when he was trying to set up practice in Aberdeen, he actually started getting a lot of these questions and basically got found out. So both he and Elizabeth swiftly moved from Aberdeen to the furthest away point from Aberdeen, London. And <laughs> they were living in London by about 1728. So she's not she's not even 30 yet when all this is happening and having to pack up her life um, because of her kind of scheming husband. Um, <clears throat> so when they were in London, he seemed to give up his medical practice altogether which kind of almost furthers the point that he probably hadn't trained properly because London, a lot of people moved to London to kind of excel in their medical career. And he decided, mm -hmm. was like, nah, I'm going to start printing books instead. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Maybe it was a hobby. So yes, he started to go into the printing business when they got to London and eventually had his own publishing firm. So because this episode is about Elizabeth and her published book you'd think oh this is clearly the way that she got into publishing her husband had a publishing firm yes amazing nope that's not what happens <laughs> I feel like people will be listening to this be like oh yes that's a really simple story and then Alexander <laughs> kicks through the door and is like hold my beer <laughs> let, me <me> <laughs> let me mess this up <laughs> so for Alexander to be able to have his own publishing and printing firm it's very similar to medicine and a lot of other professions you had to be part of a guild and you needed to have a proper training through an apprenticeship um, knowing Alexander he obviously <laughs> didn't do this <laughs> I'm trying to try so hard not to laugh it's just like it's one of those like a comedy where the main lovable character keeps trying his hardest and then just keeps messing up. Um, uh, there's a lot of that. So he clearly didn't do this, um, get an apprenticeship. Um, and when he was working in London in his publishing firm, there was a lot of other printers in London who had gone down the right route, um, were part of a guild and had done this apprenticeship. So they got together and reported him and he got found out again. So actually this time he couldn't run away and it resulted in him being put out of business. Um, so by 1734, so this isn't much longer, you know, after they got to London, the Blackwells were out of business and out of money. And Alexander alone was sent to a debtor's prison um, after declaring bankruptcy. So here's Elizabeth, um, our, our main character. Um alone in London with their child to look after. So she had to do something um, because her husband got her into this mess. Um, so she not only wanted to look after herself and her child, but she wanted to get her husband out of the debtor's prison. <clears throat> so she started to have a think. She was a good artist um, and a good illustrator because of the education that she received when she was younger. And through 
you know, through people talking, through the people that she was about in London, she had discovered that there was actually a requirement in the medical world for an up-to-date book on medicinal plants in the Western world. So she came up with a plan that she would illustrate the plants that were required to be illustrated, that people wanted to know more about. Um, And then she would take them to her husband, who was still in prison, and she would make him work, essentially, and say, label these plants with your medical knowledge um, and with the proper names and proper terminology. Now, where was she getting these plants from? Because obviously she couldn't just make up, well, she wasn't like Alexander. She wouldn't just make up plants for, for the money. She wanted to study them and draw them. So she'd actually befriended the director of the Chelsea Physic Garden. Is that where the Chelsea Flower Show comes from? You don't know, but it would make sense, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it makes sense, yeah. Um, so yeah, the director of the Chelsea Physic Garden, Isaac Rand, and moved closer to the gardens in order to illustrate the herbal plants for her book. So all the plants that, all the plants that people want to know about were actually being grown in this garden. And she was going to put them together to um, create this book as a reference guide. Let me take this moment here to just talk a bit about the history of botany and the role women had um, to play in it. So botany, the study of plants and the history of it, has many women at the forefront of the practice when it was kind of starting out to be recognised. It was seen uh, as a science at the start that was ladylike. It was something that was suitable for women. And we're going to change the term quickly from science to hobby, and you'll understand that later. Um, But there are links to women and plants and studying plants as far back as the medieval times and the female healers, which actually then links into history of medicine, for example, and things we've been looking at recently through Admitting Women, um, the project that we have ongoing. So botany seemed to be a hobby for upper-class women who would like to take on these sophisticated activities. So yeah, it was seen as an activity similar to singing, um, playing the harpsichord or piano or painting that was suitable for a woman of a certain class to do, to pass her time. Um, Because, you know, what else would women do? Of course. Just sit about. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, Elizabeth set about herself to make this publication and to do it herself. So after completing 500 illustrations on plants, she then engraved them and hand-coloured the illustrations. And by 1737, she was able to publish the first volume of A Curious Herbal. So, as I mentioned, we have a copy of A Curious Herbal in our collections, don't we, Claire? We do. Um, would you mind telling us just a bit about the book? Why You like it quite a lot. It's always something that you've kind of got I like now. the herbals in general. Yeah. 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 So I, it makes up quite a chunk of our library collection. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly sort of like through the 1800s. This is actually a little earlier than some of the herbals, like yeah. a big chunk of that collection. Um, it's probably one of the earlier ones. Um, but yeah, they're just interesting in general. They're beautiful to look at. But also, I think if you're not from a medical background like me, they're more relatable than some of the other books. Okay, yeah, collection. true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, a little bit easier. So you understand because they're, they're things that you're familiar with Mm-hmm. Anyway, like you may know some of the treatments that are still in existence today that are in those books mm. from the 17, 18 onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we have, um, it's a two volume set um, mm. and it's published between 1737 and 1739. Mm. Um, originally, it's actually published in weekly parts. 
Yes, I read that yeah. somewhere. Mm. Mm-hmm. But uh, then obviously they're bound together and you get the two volume books and all editions of that now, not all, there'll be some that are still unbound, but most now are bound in two volumes. Mm. Um, and they're big, hefty books. Um, <laughs> sometimes when we're doing these, I actually sit with the item out by mm. me and I flick through it, but it's so big I've actually not got room on my desk to do that. Yeah, do that's all right. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's big. It, they're 50-ish centimetres in length, so you can see they're quite hefty things and they're heavy. Um, mm. And I will say ours are in quite a poorly state as well. Mm. Mm. Um, quite The binding's quite damaged. The pages are a bit... They almost look a bit singed around the edges, actually, Ooh. which is interesting. Um, not sure what's happened to them. I think there's a bit of smoke damage, so maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, they've been a bit too near to the fireplace. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I was aren't in the best of condition. Mm. Um, so we have to keep them sort of well stored and we're looking after them to make sure they don't at least get any worse and maybe one day we can get them properly conserved. Yeah. Um, but the two volumes consist of 500 engraved plates, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as Kirsty said. And um, Elizabeth is responsible for the engraving, the publishing, and she also hand-coloured them all as well. Mm. But interestingly, our editions aren't hand-coloured, they're black and white. So, yeah, so they're from the original run, so they are published between 37 and 39. Yeah. But for some reason, she just didn't colour these ones in, and I don't know why. Um, I don't know how common that is, whether she just got to a point and she's just like, you know what? (laughs) My hand's sore. Yeah. <laughs> Just have this one a bit cheaper. I didn't get around to colouring it in. Yeah. So I don't know why. Um there are other editions that are just black and white as well. I don't know how many. Mm-hmm. Um I did just out of interest look on um the GIST catalogue, so it lists different universities and institutions um that also hold this copy and and now a listing there were eleven copies and ours is the only one that's actually listed as black and white as not coloured so mm, mm-hmm. so it seems to be more commonly coloured than not but I can't swear by that that was a really really bad study I did just <laughs> 11 books. that's all right um so I don't know when it came into our collection mm-hmm. all I can tell you is it's been in the collection since 1817 um, and mm, that's okay. when we have our first printed catalogue for the library Mm-hmm. Um, there is an early edition, but for some reason we don't have that catalogue in our own collection, which is crazy. <laughs> um, so uh, the first catalogue's published beginning of the 1800s and we don't have that either. Um, mm. That's incredibly rare. If anybody wants to get got that and wants to give it to us, yeah, we'd love Please that. Please do. <laughs> um, yeah, just, yeah. So it's been in the collection since at least 1817, but mm-hmm. don't know when. Um it could have been bought at the time she was actually publishing them because the book is highly respected. It's approved by medics and um, pharmacists or apothecaries, as they were probably at the time. Yep. Um, so it could have been something that was added to the collection straight away. From the state it's in, I suspect not. I suspect it's been a donation at some point, mm-hmm. uh, although mm-hmm. I can't honestly say that. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's a lot of it. The illustrations of it are really detailed um and there's a little description of it kind of works in stages so there's um a page with 
the text about four different plants and then you turn the page and you've got four plates that follow so right. it has that kind of system right um, and there's loads of things we're familiar with as being used in medicine so there's things like the poppy mm. aloe vera mm. um foxglove although at that time it predates um weathering so it's not talking about digitalis for the heart right um she talks about foxglove as a, a percative bit it's still there and mm-hmm. we would recognize that today as something that's used in medicine Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then things like um, perhaps we'd be more familiar with this being eaten as a food now, but nettles, um, oh. a bit of nettle soup, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so nettles, they're used for things like um, internal bleeding, jaundice, coughs, and as a diuretic as well. So yeah, so all the things we're kind of familiar with today. Mm-hmm. Um, the uses of them may have changed. Um, some of them have remained the same, but certainly lots of things we're familiar with. But then there's also things that you would perhaps be surprised for in the book and um, so there's things like um the guinea pepper or hot peppers or what we perhaps consider chilies and mm. those kinds of things there in a book as well Ooh. so she didn't just look at plants that were native to this country mm-hmm. she actually looked at a lot that were um, native to the americas north yep. and south so peppers make an appearance um and they're used for toothache um flatulence actually. <laughs> um, Quite different ends of the body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and also, uh, yeah, perhaps not so nice for expelling a dead uh, fetus. So, um, oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Um, right. I, I, this reminds, not the, yeah, but isn't that similar to like where if, if a, a woman is pregnant and is like overdue, they say eat spicy yeah. food? Yeah, I've heard that. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if that's, that's someone tell us if that's linked. Because that would be fascinating yeah. that yeah. so far I've back. I've definitely known, yeah. like, uh, people I actually personally know who've had that mm-hmm. said to them, eat some spicy food. Um, mm. So if anybody wants to tell us if that actually works as well. I'll talk to my friend. I'll talk to my friend. She's an obs and gain doctor. I'll just be like, right, why yes. do you say that? Um, yeah. Is it just to get them to, like, stop moaning and just be like, eat spicy food? So that'll just distract you. Yeah. Um, but, but I'd say that is... That is an interesting connection. I mean, not a particularly nice one for the mm-hmm. treatment that um, Elizabeth Blackwell's talking about, but there is obviously some sort of feeling that, you know, from the 1700s up to today, it still persists that idea that it will either help with the birth of a live or a dead fetus. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. And it's just really interesting. It's as- a live baby. <laughs> yeah. But as you were saying, like all, 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 a lot of them that we would still... Con- that- are still mm-hmm. kind of used to d- today in some way or form. And it's just like from yeah. from a time that seems so long ago to us where we're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, they didn't know anything. It's like, actually, no, yeah. they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can be quite dismissive, <clears throat> I think, of um, early medicine. Yep. yep. Um, and rightly so for some of it. Mm. Um, but and I suppose perhaps even more so with herbal medicine yep. because I suppose it's got quite a bad name mm-hmm. these days and people turning to herbal medicine rather than you know prescribed medicines um you know i think medicine herbal medicine it's more traditionally now seen as complementary to the prescribed Mm -hmm. medication Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or you know a part of the poppy or whatever will be used in a medicine rather than it's just the only thing that's used so um but yeah um we we can be quite dismissive and actually there's probably some truth in a lot of what they were saying Hmm. Um, which is interesting so yeah so yes yeah, so we've got the peppers and also perhaps something else we wouldn't 
necessarily think has been around in the 1700s, the pistachio. Ah. That's in there as well. Um, and that's for weak, consumptive people. Um, <laughs> okay. Opening obstructions to the liver or the spleen. Ah, okay. Yeah. I don't know if I would have thought pistachio. I just, when I first hear pistachio, I'm like, oh, that's very West End. <laughs> it, it, it is the posh nut. It, it's like, if that's your snack, it's like, oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah so there's things like that in as well and um oh gosh vegetables and fruits as well mm. um so you know cucumbers pomegranates basically if it grows it's probably in it's probably in this book yeah yeah oh um, that makes sense then mate well no wonder she had like 500 then because i when i looked at the number 500 i'm like mate that's a lot <laughs> i mean some of them you know she if she got a garden, she could well have just been growing in her own garden, you know, rosemary, you know, the herbs and things. Pistachios. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pistachio. She's <laughs> eating, yeah. firing them out of her mouth as she's doing a drawing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I suppose also it highlights how much stuff apothecaries and medics had got access to at the mm-hmm. time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's, I suppose, to the modern, I think, quite astounding as well i think yeah. we tend to think people didn't travel yeah as much as they did and mm. hadn't got so much knowledge of the world but it's not true yeah and it's like nice that because obviously as a as a college ourselves we how we were founded and started was multidisciplinary with physicians surgeons and apothecaries working together and it mm-hmm. kind of feels like that in this in this book as well so obviously it's for a reference guide for physician surgeons, but also apothecaries as well, and how mm. they all essentially work together to better people's health. Yeah. And that's quite nice that it's kind of come together in this book. To carry on the story, because there is a bit of a story after the book, which is quite interesting. So A Curious Herbal had, uh, as Claire hinted on, it had a really good reception after it was published. Because um, of the illustrations, because as Claire said, they're very detailed and they're very, very lovely. And this was a time very much before photography. So illustrations were the closest to that kind of picture reference of something that you'd never seen before. Um, So because of the detail um, and the artistry of the illustrations, but also the fact that a book like this was really needed at the time um, to be that kind of go-to for practitioners. Um, and as Claire mentioned, it was endorsed by physicians and apothecaries. And it was even endorsed, did you know this, by the Royal College of Physicians of London. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you need a stamp of approval, that is that is the one you get for this. Due to its success, Elizabeth was able to get Alexander out of prison. Don't know why she bothered, but apparently <laughs> she loved him. <laughs> apparently that's the thing. <laughs> she felt affectionate towards him. <laughs> And you'd think, great, end of story. This is this is the full circle. Uh, nope. <laughs> it's not a happy ending. <laughs> so not long after Alexander was released from prison, the Blackwells were back in debt due to him being an awful businessman. That's pretty much what it is. He's yeah. not a good businessman. He schemes a lot. So... Uh, it got so bad to the extent that they actually had to sell some of the rights of the book to stay out of debt. And I think that that potentially makes me the saddest part of the story for me because it's such a big deal that this was Elizabeth's work and mm-hmm. she published it. And as you said, like her name's on the book. 
And then to sell some of the rights of that just to kind of, for your husband that just can't get it together, yeah. um, really annoys me. Um, if you can't tell, <laughs> not a fan <laughs> of Alexander. Um, so yeah, um, they sold some of the rights of the book to stay out of debt, but Alexander ultimately left his family in London to start again in Sweden. Um, so I don't know if that meant that he was he essentially separated from Elizabeth or just went away to go. He said, I'll go away to earn money. But basically he left them in London to start again in Sweden. So what a guy. Um, so once in Sweden, Alexander began to dabble a bit in um, agriculture and experimenting with a lot of um, agriculture and crops, which actually gained the attention of the court and Frederick I of Sweden. So he was then <laughs> somehow appointed the court physician to Frederick. <laughs> what? I know. I feel like because this is the 1700s as well, it's a bit longer ago. Like some, it's just a lot of the research and documents. It's like, oh yeah, and then this happened, and I'm like, no, there's yeah. clearly a story in between there. <laughs> yeah, but you're not okay. So due to his new position um, in court, he obviously got into politics. He was there. He was present for a lot of conversations. Um, and was somehow involved in a plot regarding the Swedish line of succession. Um, I don't know whether that was deliberate, where he was kind of scheming to kind of change the line of succession, or he just so happened to be one of the people overheard talking about it. But because of this, it ultimately resulted in him being charged with treason. And he was executed by beheading in 1748. This isn't a long time. Wow. He packed a lot in. Yeah. To his mayor of life. Um, so <laughs> while this was all happening, Elizabeth was still slightly, I think, or somewhat financially supporting him um, through her book. Oh, mate, the face you just made is amazing. You're getting so annoyed. <laughs> um, so she was still giving him some money while he was in Sweden um, and was actually on her way to visit him when he got arrested and then I assume executed quite quickly after. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, man. So little is known about the rest of Elizabeth's life. Um, this may be in part due to maybe she kept a bit of a uh, lower profile after all this. Uh, it may be in part due to the fact that her husband had passed away. But also she didn't publish anything else um, after a cure is terrible, unfortunately. And I wouldn't blame her, not going to lie. I'd want a bit of a rest. Mm -hmm. um, and she died 10 years after her husband in 1758. So as I said at the start, I know this episode is meant to be about Elizabeth. And it is. But so much of her life was overshadowed by the actions of her husband. Um, and the irony is that his death actually led to the publication of this amazing book which established her in history. Mm -hmm. So she went through all the trauma and stress of debt, but that actually led to her, her nightmare of a husband led to the publication of this book. Yeah. I think what's nice is well, she got recognition in a time. It wasn't something that was picked up after her death or, mm -hmm. you know, and for a woman at the time. Yes, so this is, oh, this is a very nice link. Did you read my notes? Um, it's a very nice link into what we're going to talk about next. Um, so as I mentioned before, botany has um, a lot of women uh, in its early history. Um, and it did become 
uh, what's the word Gen- gendered genderized at the start it was it was a female thing it was a female activity um <clears throat> but from the time after blackwell women botanical illustrators were more common but they started receiving kind of new prejudice that maybe elizabeth hadn't received or others hadn't received i have a feeling that elizabeth didn't receive much prejudice because of her status Mm -hmm. Um, because of her family and because it was almost like she part of it feels like she was approached to do this work Mm -hmm. um, because it was needed this kind of book was needed Um, so women after this when they started receiving prejudice they would a lot of the time publish anonymously their illustrations and their drawings or would even use even use a, a male name sometimes their husband's name to get published and then in order to get money So this was because after the time of Elizabeth Blackwell was about the time that botany was becoming more established as a science and therefore more professionalised. So that's what I I meant about the kind of differentiation between hobby and science. Because what I would say the women were doing, it was a science, but men didn't allow them that. They didn't want to call what the women were doing science. Yeah. They, that's why they said it's a pastime, it's an activity for li- the lady of the household, even though it was scientific. Uh, and I have a note here that just says, because men. So um, I feel like I need to read that out. <laughs> I was clearly getting quite annoyed. Because <laughs> patriarchy. Um, so later on, um, again, in the late 1700s, going into the 1800s, Yes, yeah, so societies were forming for botany and they wanted to separate it from the hobbyist to the educated person, very similar to what happened with medicine. Um, and that ultimately led to, ta-da, the exclusion of women. Because that's what happened. One figure in this was um, a man called Lindley, who was a major figure in the botany movement. Um, and he tried to turn it into a legitimate academic science, but specifically for men. And he even went to the extent to write a guide on botany for women. Uh, and I think it's called the ladies' botany. But it's in nice. order it's in order for them to teach botany to their sons, as a, so that they can take it on as a science. Yeah. So, despite this amazing star of women kind of trailblazing botany. So much effort was made to defeminize the science um, after Blackwell. So as much as it's an amazing achievement that she did this book, I think it's a mix of it was the right time and also her background and who she knew. Um, We weren't at the stage yet where any woman could do that, unfortunately. Yeah. I suppose it's interesting the college has still got the book in a way. Mm. Like you wonder if it went out of favour or if people always respected it. That would be interesting. Um, maybe that's why it's in such a bad state. It just got thrown in a box. Somewhere. Blackwell, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Get away. No, the, the feeling I got is that, yeah, obviously we're not the only one with a, with a copy, um, as you'd said. And it is just a kind of very, everyone, it's a renowned piece of work. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of places have it. Um Maybe it became more of a look at this pretty book rather mm. than a reference guide. Just, I, I've got no reason to say that. I yeah, no, yeah. that's well. That's uh, it's a perfect example where it shows how we 
we've looked into this research and it's and it's a work in progress and we'd love to know mm -hmm. more about kind of the women's history of it all um because having this as a as a topic has actually really opened it up to actually this is a lot more complicated than just here's a really cool book we have mm -hmm. but yeah that was um elizabeth blackwell and a curious Kerbo. a quite a curious thing isn't it I see what you did there. I see what I did there. I just... Oh. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Body of Work Bites. You can find more information on the episode topic on our Heritage blog. heritageblog.rcpsg.ac.uk If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at library at rcpsg.ac.uk you can follow us on Twitter at RCPSG Heritage, and you can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm -hmm.